Hi, I'm Executive Editor Kim Schmidt. Welcome to Farm Equipment's Used Equipment Remarketing Roadmaps podcast. In this episode, host Casey Seymour and co-host Aaron Fintel sit down with Lou Bordoni and Eddie Claxton from Flint Ag in Georgia to talk about the market in their area. Before we head over to Casey and Aaron, I wanted to thank our sponsor, AgriSolutions. AgriSolutions is the market leader in wearable parts, components, accessories, and solutions for tillage, seeding, planting, fertilizing, hardware, and inventory management solutions. Improve performance and durability with a wide range of infield and extended life solutions. To learn more about AgriSolutions and their globally recognized brands such as Veloda, Ingersoll Tillage, and Trinity Logistics, visit agrisolutionscorp.com. And if this is your first time listening, you can subscribe to the podcast on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Okay, let's get things going. Here's Casey and Aaron talking with Lou Bordoni and Eddie Claxton about the cotton market in Georgia. So now it's time for the uh, boots on the ground segment, and we've got our two fellows from Georgia that are going to be here with us here directly. We got Eddie Claxton and Lou Bordoni. How are you guys doing? All right. Great. Right on. So, Ed, Eddie, let's start with you. What is it that you do for Flint Ag Equipment? My official title is used equipment manager. Um, Lou and I mm-hmm. kind of have our segmentation. A lot of dealers have one person uh, doing the dual role. Some have it split apart. Uh, basically, I'm on the front side of everything. All the trade evaluations, anything that we need to put a value on, figuring that first price of what we really need to put it in inventory for. And once it's in inventory, uh, both of us kind of work together, making sure that it gets moved to one of our eight locations if we need to move it. And then he takes it over from there, does all the marketing, handles, you know, the buyers, person-to-person sales, dealer-to-dealer sales, um, if he needs to adjust pricing, whatever the, that kind of that market is at that point. But, uh, I mean, we work basically hand-in-hand. We're never – we may not be together each day in the same office, but we're constantly, you know, back and forth with each other. Uh, some form of communication on everything we're doing, and it's worked pretty well for, you know, them bringing us into what we actually inherited when both of us got on board. He was already here. I came in uh, early 16. He came from another division, so basically we basically got slapped in the face with a bunch of overaged, uh, overvalued equipment, and some of them been sitting here for quite a while. But, I mean, pretty much I'm a used equipment manager. He's the used equipment remarketing manager. We basically work hand-in-hand and day-to-day and make sure we get everything handled for our, for our managers and our owner. Um, you know, we're an eight-store operation in southwest Georgia. We're one of three divisions for our company. Uh, they have a construction, forestry, a power division, and the ag. Uh, we're on the ag and turf side. Now, Lou, um, talk a little bit about kind of what your day-to-day looks like. So like Eddie said, I mean, we're a little unique as far as how we, we organize things. And um, so m- most of my efforts are into monitoring our, our our inventory and seeing, trying to get out ahead of, of problems. I mean, we, we're in kind of a unique situation down here in, in, in Southwest Georgia. And that, and I think it's, it's something that, uh, that you may see in different parts of the country more than, than others in that 
the way that the consolidations have, have, have come about and the way that the, 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 the land ownership has evolved, um, you know, you have less and less balance as far as our ability to wash out of, of, of equipment, right? So, um, and it, it almost seems as, seems, seems as if as, as the years go on, you've got more A's and a lot less B's, C's, D, and D's, you know? And um, so that, that's my challenge is to try to consult up to the, to the retail, to, to my, my, my counterpart on the, on the new equipment side and try to throttle the sale of new equipment to match our ability to, our ability to absorb the used, right? Whether it be retail or whether it be, you know, looking outside and seeing, all right, well, what's, what's the out of area ability to absorb? I mean, how's the rest of the country doing? You know, so I, I guess the, the, the easiest way to put it is my number one goal or my, my, what I, how I see my, my responsibility is to clear the way for the, the, the retail guys to be able to do their job in a, in a healthy manner and, and, to, and to avoid problems because the problem with us down here is that, in, in steady state, like, I mean, when things are normal, we produce surplus. We know that, right? The issue is if that stayed the same and if that was consistent, this job would probably be pretty easy, mm-hmm. right? But um, it changes and, and, it, and it's supremely segmented. You know, one, one year we may be loaded down with a certain category of equipment, and uh, which is a, a mainstream category of equipment being uh, grain harvesting or tractors or sprayers. In another year, we may be loaded down or, or out of balance with some, you know, kind of niche equipment, be it uh, a cotton or peanut equipment right. um, that you don't really have a lot of places to go with. Right. Mm-hmm. So to circle back to like your original question, what does my day look like? Sometimes my day is going out and being a mainstream remarketing manager and another where I'm talking to guys in Illinois and Iowa and Nebraska and or here in Georgia, where other times I'm out there trying to figure out, you know, man, we're loaded down with cotton pickers right now. Where, where's that market at? And who's buying and kind of reinventing the my relationships and uh, trying to figure out adjusting also our reconditioning program and, and kind of how we get things through, because obviously when your customer changes, your protocols change. You know, we, we've, we've talked a lot about that before is not, not every buyer has the same expectations. So that, that has a lot to do with what, what I'm doing day to day. So cotton is obvious right now. Cotton is, is very high. I mean, I saw the other day, some December cotton was, was opening up as a, at a dollar. I mean, I don't know how often that happens that your Ford contracting dollar cotton. So in an area that's heavily cotton, you know, you got all kinds of cotton stuff going on. Cotton kind of drives the market down there. How's that affecting your business? And what are you guys seeing right now? I mean, obviously things are busy and it's, it is what it is because of equipment wise, but with the volume of tractors that you guys sell based around cotton, what are you seeing right now on the use side of that? What we're seeing right now on, on the cotton side is we're seeing some movement, but it's through the export side. Okay. Uh, we're getting some local guys. We had a lot of that uh, December type business before the end of the year. Uh, and then the balance has really been more or less a lot of activity, a lot of interest from the exporters. But we had our normal cotton business as usual. We get an allocation from the year on pickers. So we ate our allocation up with all our local guys and our mud customers. And uh, from that point, now we're, 
taking as Lou calls them the babies of all those trades and trying to force them down the line and figure out who's going to get them. Uh, but with deer bringing in a new series picker to 770, now the 690s and the seven in the 7760s are you know a, a reference to y'all would be like you know when they went from the 50 series to the 60 series right and up to the to the s series i mean you start getting machines that are getting older and older and they just they're losing they're losing value and losing steam uh, but the cotton market is hopefully surely going to help us with the input cost uh there's we're going to still be in cotton and peanuts that's that's our two main crops here other than vegetables you know watermelons that sort of thing uh, we had a bunch of corn but now corn's getting quite expensive right uh, mm-hmm. back back down on that and do more peanuts and cotton but uh you know if you ask me today still a hot ticket is tractors um the cotton equipment will come but we usually see some cotton business on into kind of the late summer right before we start defoliating and uh, we'll get some guys that want to buy at the last minute or do some trades at the last minute what are you seeing this so i mean here here's the thing about cotton it's so simple that it gets complicated so so stay with me here like you know so you have a finite amount of acres right and while our guys do have the ability and the flexibility to like, as Eddie said, like move, move, move some acres over and say, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to swap over X amount, X percentage of acres over to corn or, or peanuts or whatnot. What you're seeing is, is over the years and I, and I, and I've grafted, I mean, I've, I've looked at it and kind of analyzed it all from year to year. You're not going to see a tremendous amount of of shifting of acreage. It's really got to make, for instance, I'll give you the example of corn. Uh, Corn is, if if corn goes through the roof, um, yeah, so maybe some of our guys that decide to move over five, seven, 10, 12% of their acreage over to corn, right? But it's gotta really, really, really make sense. Why? Logistically, there's a lot, we're at a tremendous disadvantage down here. Now, yeah, we, I mean, we can grow some tremendous corn, we can grow some tremendous corn down here. Our yields are, are tremendous because we're all underwater. We control our conditions, right? We can fertilize through the, the pivots. And we, I mean, so when we commit ourselves to it, we can, we can do really well, but we're still at a tremendous disadvantage, right? So that's, that, that's the number one reason. And the number two reason is what, what Eddie alluded to as far as the, the equipment that's coming out. And, you know, we, we saw a double digit baseline price increase with the, with the new, model cotton pickers i mean you're looking at you're starting to flirt with a million dollars a piece for a new cotton picker right mm -hmm. and so and you're talking about one one cotton picker uh is good for uh, you know anywhere between uh depending on your location and kind of what your what your harvest window is anywhere from say you're 1500 to 3000 acres worth so you know we've got a handful of, of large growers that are having to uh, run three, four, five, six cotton pickers. So just do some real quick math there. You're pretty darn committed yeah, uh, yeah. from a, from an, from an equipment standpoint. Letting a, a cotton uh, shifting acres over to corn and letting a cotton picker sit in a barn and and just just the not the hour but just the annual depreciation is 
will almost make you sick to your stomach. And, and, and we'll have that happen. We'll have customers come to us. Oh man, I want to, uh, I think I'm going to have my cotton custom harvested and I'm just going to stick the corn this year. Are you willing to, uh, to just uh, straight out purchase my cotton picker? Cause I, I just, I don't need it sitting there to, and have to make a payment. And that's a very difficult, very hard decision for us. I mean, it's got to really make a lot of sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. So that leaves the grower in a position where he's got to stay committed to that to that crop. So that that so that would be the second point. The third point is just the rest of the infrastructure. I mean, you know, we're we're set up for to absorb X amount of production of of, of cotton, X amount of production of, of peanuts from from the sense of storage of brokerage. It's all pretty uh, sized accordingly, if you will. Right? You know, right now, what is where the rest of you know you talk to dealers around the country and they're and they're telling you what a what a bad situation they're in and where they're really losing a lot of opportunities and they're uh trying to fill orders and they're having to go out and pay kind of top dollar to to fill retail orders so we may have seen a, a, a bit of that i know eddie's gone out and bought some tractors here recently and you know to be able to fill some orders but for the most part our guys from a fleet standpoint are so committed and so consistent because their operations are so large and their role cycles are so consistent right. that that enables us to plan ahead and their deals are, are, are discussed. And, and you pretty much right now, the only curveball is that's, what's kind of cr- throwing us for a, for a curve because historically, like a lot of our guys will kind of pile up when they want to do their deal, when they want to do their deals. Right. And um, right now, from a delivery standpoint on the new, that's a challenge. So we've had to back up and look, say we've got X number of, of we'll call it, you know, l- large deals, large equipment fleets that we pretty much do every year. Like we've had to sit down and kind of spread those out a little bit, not because of from an absorption standpoint, but because if you don't spread them out, you won't be able to bring the tractors in, get them PDI'd, uh, get them invoiced out, and, and kind of refill the hopper uh, with 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 Waterloo. So that's really been the, the one challenge that, that we've seen in the last 12 months. But I guess the silver lining or kind of the, the where, where, where dealers like us in the South kind of set ourselves apart, I'm not saying good or bad. I'm not saying it was premeditated or we're doing anything better than anybody else because normally our the, the, the volume of equipment and the timing of it is our biggest crutch. Right now, it has been a it's been a blessing in disguise because, with the exception of when it shows up on the yards, we really haven't missed a lot of opportunities on the trade side. I mean, unless you live under a rock, you know what's happening with equipment. Uh, the guys that are even more savvy know that. We've realized a lot more price increases from deer. Our costs have gone up. We're ha- that equipment's costing them more. Oh, yeah. But uh, they also know that their equipment's worth more. Right. And um, so that that's something I know Eddie grapples a good bit on. And once the equipment shows up on the yard that I grapple with um, to, to determine, all right, what is stuff worth in the, mar- worth in the marketplace? Uh, where do we need to be on this stuff? And um, and having the discipline to not to to stay consistent and things are good, but I think that maybe some other dealers around the country are seeing a much bigger spread in the margins that they're seeing 
and, and the pro and their profitability than what maybe a dealer in the South is because of the frequency of our roll cycles. You don't want to go out there and go crazy because you know, you're going to see that tractor again in 12 months. And if by that time, the market has kind of gone back to normal, you need to be careful what you do with those B and C customers because it's going to affect your ability to get, you know, to be able to do their deals. Right. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes oh, yeah. sense. It makes sense. So talk a little bit about that. So that's something I've, I talk about a lot and I, I think about a lot is when you're looking at your traditional secondary buyer, you know, you got the guy that's going to buy the first generation trade. You always, those guys are pretty, pretty well established. You know who those guys are. They're going to roll every two or three years. And then you've got the next guy that's going to buy his stuff. That's rolling every three to five, seven years, something like that. And those guys, to me, that that's where I worry about, you know, the next three to five years, what's that look like and how that plows that play out. The because B, the B customer. Yeah, the B customer. Because a lot of those B customer guys, they've become B customers because they don't have anyone coming back to the farm in a lot of cases. And they've be, they've just kind of, you know, this is as big as I'm going to get. I'm not going to get any bigger than this. I'm going to kind of supply my farm with what I need when I'm <clears throat> when I'm ready to buy something. I'm ready to buy something, and, and I'm going to retire and, and move on here in a little while. The A guy is going to come in and pick up my ground or rent my ground or whatever they're going to do. Are, are you seeing that, that retirement kind of horizon get a little bit closer to some of these guys? And, and what, if, if you're seeing that, what do you kind of, how are you handling that as far as that next level of customer? Like wh how are you, how are you, how are you adjusting your washout cycle accordingly? We'll get back to Casey, Aaron, Eddie, and Lou in a moment. But first I wanted to pause to thank our sponsor, AgriSolutions. To learn more, visit agrisolutionscorp.com. Now back to Casey and Aaron as they continue their discussion with Eddie Claxton and Lou Bordoni from Flint Ag. Well, my observation, kind of way we see it. So I, I think that listening to you guys over the years even and seeing how what you just described is a perpetual cycle. Sure. Like it, it, it's constantly happening. Yep. I, I think with us, is it, it's not as... Although it's a concern, it's something that you've always got in the back of your mind that the consolidations are going to are going to continue to occur. I think the rate at which they occur in our part of the world are a lot less less frequent. Okay. We're, we're not seeing you, know, you guys are always talking about retirement retirement sale this and retirement sale that and you know oh I went to this retirement sale this weekend and oh I was coming home and ran by another one. We don't see that. I mean, we will see, a, you know, it, it's a bit, we, we see them, but we see them, you know, when there's somebody, when there's a retire, like a, a, a sizable retirement sale, it's something that's like, we're really talking about, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I, I think what you're seeing more is, you know, you, you may have that we label A and B customers that maybe farm in similar acreage, similar number of acres. Yep. But the, what the only thing that separates them is their is their is their philosophy on equipment. Right. It's like yep. I, I'm not gonna. I would, I would never buy. I don't think I'd ever buy a use a, a, a new pickup. Right. That's just how I am. Right. You know. And and uh, it's not important to me. I mean, I know that that model is going to stay the same for a couple of years. So I may be behind the eight ball, but I'll still have a newer truck still within warranty for, for, for at least three years, you know, um, well with equipment's the same and, and we've pushed that along as well. Like it's, 
because we cannot sustain 28 customers. The ideal, like what, what we've tried to mold has been, all right, so if we walked in and there was 18 or 28 customers and five or six uh, Bs and, and then just a handful of Cs, like we've chipped away at it year by year and said, all right, well, let's take eight of those Bs and let's let them write, let's figure out what, value proposition or how to pitch some value to that those guys to ride the coattails of one of these a customers right and um and you got to be and, and you got to kind of think through that and work real closely with with your sales guys um and take their guidance on that and say all right well john like you know who are two customers that would be compatible here or or maybe you take two of those a's and you, and you let them ride the coattails of one of your big A customers. And man, I'll tell you what, when you can pull that off, you've really done something. And so uh, you combine that with the amount of eight, the amount of hours that we, that we put on equipment down here, that'll take you through almost to wholesale. Uh, you know, right. you, sure. you can almost yeah. get wholesale by, by the, by the third or, Worst case scenario by the, by the fourth trade. Right. We've got growers that are that we've put say on a one or two year cycle that their 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 utilization on their the, on their equipment fleet is so efficient and so high that they're trading one year old tractors or eighteen month old tractors with the two thousand twenty five hundred hours. Mm-hmm. So you know, right there, you've already like by the time they're trading in a new tractor that's still within basic, they're about as far along the, the, the kind of the usage or the hour um, uh, 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 curve that you guys would be having to deal with, like say with a, like a B or a C customer. Right. right. They're, they're, they're moving it. They put so many hours on because of their efficiencies. <laughs> right. They move it from an A plus down to a B or B minus themselves yeah. just exactly. by how they're operating. Yeah, we see that and, in those so areas. The, yeah. So yeah, that I could see that exactly. that's extremely helpful yeah. in a way. Yeah. Is if the yes. dollars, you know, line up for that operation, yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. Now the the challenge is always the pressure you get from the from the top side, right? <laughs> so I mean, you you, you know, and, and we saw that more than ever here recently. And you, you get it every couple of years. Get the, get the Kool Aid and get the pep talk, and and they. I'm not going to go. Oh, that's plowed ground. Everybody knows that. And um, so down here, you know, talking with some of our our, our 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 friend dealerships down here in the south, you know, <laughs> we have to kind of sit down and and have a lot of discipline. Right. We have to have a lot of discipline um, to not, not bite on that. And, and the problem is that if you have one dealer group that's operating nearby that doesn't buy into that philosophy, it screws the pooch for the rest of them. Absolutely. That's the problem we run into. Yep. We, and, and I think every dealer across the world, for what it's worth, runs into that. If dealer A is trying their hardest 
We were hitting market share. We don't have any use problems. We're clicking along. This is the best plan ever. And dealer B is trying to get 3,000% market share and exactly. they're just ruining everything. Absolutely. So, we do it to ourselves. Right. And, exactly. and, and that's why, and that's why I've been preaching and, and Eddie, Eddie, Eddie and I talk about it a, a ton and, and with our management and our ownership group, I think today more than ever, I, I firmly believe and I, and I believe in the importance of the value of these relationships and how, how much all these dealers across the country need to be working and need to be talking. Right. And, I, and I think that I think Casey and you have done a tremendous amount, whether you realize it or not, to propagate that, um, you know, and, and I think in the five years that I've been in this on, on this side of the business, I've seen that level of communication improve and, and the more communication and the more synergy synergy there is and the more like alignment as far as like operational, like kind of MO you have across the country, the healthier we will all be as organizations. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. Because it, and it's, it's easy to sit there, you know, buried in your laptop with your blinders on and right. stuff, but and, and I've seen it, maybe I was going to use combines as an example, but that's kind of a bad example. But I know of times where we had like a hundred used S600 series combines and I might sell a couple in the Southeast to a dealer because you guys don't create combine problems like, like we insist on doing. So it, it's easy to think, you know, if you look at, us out here west and the i states all the way to western or eastern ohio right down i-80 everybody's got a combine problem well there's a lot of rest of the world out there and if everybody's working together it makes a hell hell of a huge difference but but, but aaron and i don't mean to cut you off but I, but i think it starts with with awareness like you, you, right. you, you know I, and i'm gonna sound like a real like what is the word like newbie or rookie to the, I mean, naive, whatever it may be. Most when I started uneducated, yeah. Foolish. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Hairbrained anymore. All right. yeah. I, I'll, 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 I'll tell you how much I, how quickly I had to get my, my head around this thing when I started. And I had, a, I was reminded of it today when I was at our Leesburg store, which is where I kind of had my first office. And so I, I create, I, I built a, a, like a, what I called a, like a war room, literally. It was like a double, it was a, it was a double cubicle and I pulled everything out of there. And so you could push, push pins everywhere, you know? So I went out and bought like the absolute biggest maps I could find. So I had a map of like the Southeast and, and of the whole country and of the world. And I went out and bought like different color push pins. And, and what I was trying to get my uh, uh, um, visualized was where's the hot spots for certain equipment? Cause this is how dumb I was. And this is how like unaware I was, right? Like where do people create combine surplus? Where are the other little niche pockets in the U.S., where people have uh, a buy and, and, and buy uh, a peanut equipment or cotton equipment, right. or where are guys buying big sprayers and where are guys buying little 
2,500-hour uh, uh, sprayers. Where are guys buying two-wheel drive combines? Where are guys buying shittily spec row crop tractors? Where are guys buying tractors with leather? Right. And I'm telling you, it, it took a long time to map that out and get your head around it. But what I found, like, at the end of that, like, being a newbie and not really having a gut feeling about all that and having to, like, mine that data all at the same time rather than trying to, like, uh, uh, learn it through experience and years of, oh, I heard they run two-wheel drive combines and a lot of them in Nebraska or whatever, almost, like, really helped me. Like, it, 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 and, and the more you know what dealers are going to have what problems when this or that is happening, I think the better you can execute. The, the, you know who to call. I mean, right. you know. You got some feedback on that, Eddie? Look, you know, he, he brings a lot to the table. I mean, you know, I've been doing this, uh, I'll be 42 next month. I've been doing this since I was 17 and not in this title, but being in the beer business. And he brings a lot to the table for someone that hasn't, you know, hasn't been in it that long. Sometimes um, that helps. Yes, he, he brings a lot of aspects. You know, early on, we were all kind of scratching our heads, but, you know, especially now, he and I, I mean, it, it, uh, I can come up with a problem and he can find a solution. You know, it's, it, it takes a lot of times that, you know, thinking outside the box, and he does a lot of that. And it's very, very helpful. And, and uh, a lot of things I pick up that I, you know, never was aware of or didn't think of it that way. So, you know, I think it's uh, alluding back to what he said. I think a lot of this is, is relationships, you know, trying to work with dealers and You're trying sure. to figure yeah. out, you know, if we're all going to have the same issue, we need to try to figure out a solution and work together to uh, to get that solution handled in a timely manner. Right. Um, yep. You know, our our thing is cotton pickers, and, and that's a very limited audience. Mm-hmm. And we work with the dealers that do cotton, and uh, you you end up sometimes carrying pickers, and we've done that. And we're still working, trying to resolve that. And, you know, don't know if we'll ever get to that point where we don't, but, you know, hopefully we will. And then the peanut side of it's a little different. We're very, very, very invested in peanuts. Uh, yeah, without hesitation, we're the only dealer in North America that carries three brands, uh, Amada, KMC, and Columbo. So we we have a whole different scenario on things. We, we've got three brands. Um, we kind of set the pace and scale for Columbo. Amada and KMC kind of already had their values. Uh, in the marketplace, um, but then we have to be conscious of what we're doing with Colombo, KMC, and Amadis with the peanut market as it rises and falls, just like cotton. So sure. everybody's got a problem that's just a little different. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, very much a relationship-driven business, and when you really peel back the layers of the onion, everybody's onion is a little bit the same. There's, there's very, very few things that are different. You might have different different equipment and different uh, farming practices and those kind of things. But at the end of the day, use equipment, use equipment. And there's a wash up. A yellow onion, a white onion, and a red onion are all (laughs) 10 for good buddy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right. I got, I got one thing that I want to put out there. I want to, I want to plant a real quick seed. 
going back to that being naive thing, like, and not knowing how things work. I asked a question five years ago, you know, uh, when I, I was, uh, I've been doing this for about a month and I asked the question, I'm like, you know, you know, why is it like, they used to make fun of me, like, you know, God, you has these dumbass questions, but why is it that we can't sit down? Why is it that we're doing such, you know, why are we making such silly, what you would think would be silly decisions, right? Why are we having to deal with such silly problems that in any other market or any other industry, like could probably be solved a lot easier. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Through a little bit of communication, a little bit of analysis, a little better decision-making. Right. And, and the, and the answer was, you know, we could come out and we could do, like, like Aaron said, we, we could go out there and slow the train down and start, try to slow cycles down and et cetera. But unless your neighbors are doing it, unless everybody's doing it, everybody's in agreement and, and, and everybody's got, you know, the, the, the same agreement and, and, and nobody's uh, going to take a disproportionate amount of risk, right? If everybody was going to agree to take the same amount of risk, right? To go up against deer or the manufacturers and, and, uh, you know, it could be done, but, but no, but you're never going to have a scenario in which, uh, everybody is going to be aligned as far as, okay, um, let's all slow this thing down or let's all, um, try to talk our customers into showing some value rather than just meeting metrics. And, you know, well, all of a sudden here's a phenomenon that's been put in our lap, right. That has put us all on a level playing field as far as we all have inventory availability issues right. we're all having to adjust our 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 trade allowances and in our in our our market uh, 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 the equipment price at which we're selling equipment etc 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 and um even down to a, a product support standpoint i mean we're all we're all challenged by that as well like we're losing text left and right and so is our neighbor and um so we're all, all of a sudden, like there's not because we did something right or wrong, but we're all kind of in a, in a, in a, a, a more even keel position, right? Across the country, not segmented. Right. And so all of a sudden, there's a lot of good things that have come out of that. I've been saying for years, or this whole used equipment thing, the way to make it make more sense is you got to slow it down. Well, it got slowed down. So my hope and the seed I want to plant is that I hope that when this thing rebounds, that we all were able to to see the good things that came out of this and that we we take something away from that as an industry and 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 we increase our our health uh in a in a in a way that that will last and that we don't regress back to doing stupid business and uh doing business for fun and not talking to each other and uh and being a really terrible use of capital as a, as a, as, as, as a company. Mm -hmm. um, so I, 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 that's my hope for us as a, as an industry. That's that, that's my uh, the wisdom I wanted to plant before the end of the, my request before the end of the, my segment, I'm right. done. <laughs> right on. All right. Deep thoughts by Lou Bordone. That's a good one. I like that. <clears throat> now I think uh, you, the best practices side of this business is always something people talk about. And I'm right there with you, Lou, that what's coming out of this is that this will be the first time when it slows down and things go back to a normal uh, level of, of consistency is that 
you're going to be filling up an empty cupboard. So you have an ability to go back in and, and fill that up with, you know, good, wholesome food and not, right. exactly, not Twinkies and Ho-Hos. Right. You know what I mean? This is in the <laughs> cupboard because we had to have it. That's right. That's right. So, I mean, yeah, you can you can really put things back in there the way they're supposed to go. So I'm with you. I hope, I hope so, too. I hope that we come out of this on the, on the backside of a little wiser, a little smarter, and uh, a little bit more um, – you know, 2019, 2018, 2017 really wasn't that long ago. And That's right. we can go down a path of, of high correction here pretty quick if we're not careful. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, so what you're saying is when we do go to the store because the cupboards are better, leave the teenage boys at home. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yep. We, don't need, we don't need hostess fruit pies. Frito-Lay is not invited. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> Eddie, you have any last thoughts? Oh, man, it's hard to hard to come back after what Lou said. I mean, that's pretty strong, pretty deep. Yeah. Right. Uh, I, you know, a lot of what he said is, is there. I mean, we just got to uh, try to, if we can, work together and uh, try to figure out where this thing's going to go because there's, you can take every expert in the world and, and take all your commodity prices, but if the good Lord don't give you the, the water and the sunshine and the right temperatures and the right weather, we're not, none of us are going to get through this thing. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's one of those that I've talked to guys that uh, last time they remember anything like this in the equipment industry was probably in the in the 80s. I don't know that we'll ever, hopefully, you know, it's good and bad seeing this. So I'll just leave it at that I don't, you know, I don't know that we'll ever see this again because we're, um, we're looking at, you know, trading machines that's three or four years old and exactly giving them back exactly what they paid for. Right. Selling them a three or four year old tractor, um, you know, 25 to 40% above what it should be. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just the way that the market is. And, you know, we didn't, we didn't call this, we didn't set it. We're just, we're, we're playing the game that, uh, that we were told to play. Exactly. Yep. Right. All we can do is play in the arena we were put in, man. Exactly. Modern day gladiators. Yep. <laughs> right. Well, fellas, speak, uh, speak for yourself, dude. I don't. I mean, you know, you guys look like you could kick our asses. <laughs> Not Eddie's. The 1982 uh, uh, stationary bike back there. That's. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's hardcore. Um, pretty core. <laughs> well, okay. So last, last little thing, real quick. Just get your, get your feedback. So both of you guys came to Moving Iron Summit this last year. You've been there before. Um, what are some of the big takeaways you have when you go to those meetings like that? Uh, camaraderie. Uh, you know, getting to get a meet and talk and visit with other dealers, especially the guys that that don't sell the same color. Right. You know. Non deer, uh, mother deer has always preached one avenue with 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 going to those uh, different meetings. We can take the fork in the road and go a different path and try to come back over and, and bring something back to our dealership, you know, individually or as a team to put in place. Um, I think that is something that that needs to continue and hopefully it can continue. Um, I think we all raised our hand for Nashville. So <laughs> where it's going to be, I will definitely yeah. be. Yeah, I'll um, be there. No, it, it's, it's a wonderful experience. 
like I said, especially to meet people other than John Deere. Right. My, my biggest takeaway is that, you know, I always would have thought that, uh, you know, those electric mopeds like would be not a really big deal to like to operate. But it's a lot more complicated than what you would think. In yeah. certain times of day more than others. Yeah, exactly. I really respect those guys in the tight jeans. Like I mean they're yeah. they're braver than I ever gave them credit for. Um so but beyond beyond that, absolutely Eddie is hit the nail on the head, the camaraderie and the fact that you know you get to sit down in a different environment with with guys that are doing the same thing you're doing and like you said earlier, I mean, you know, you get your nose to the grindstone and you're behind that laptop and it's real easy or you're out in the field and you're, you know, photographing and kind of in the in the in the getting a rut of getting things done and you forget to look around and see kind of the, the macro idea of, oh, man, man I, I could be doing this differently. You know, I, I and so those meetings are real good about, you know, sitting down with people that you know have, have done a really good job at certain parts of what we do and you get an opportunity to 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 kind of get a glimpse inside of of man this guy's really thought this through man i i've had conversations i remember having a 30 minute conversation one time with brent bowen about the proper angle to photograph an 8r and you think we were talking about fine art right you know like as far as like this is like or, or talking with like french people about champagne and the, like that is not champagne you know like <laughs> That is not how do you photograph an 8R. This is how to do it. Right. You know, and, and and he is the god when it comes to photographing 8Rs. He really is. Like, he makes tractor porn. And, like, so, and, and, and in 30 minutes, I gained the, the, the I, I learned how to do something that I thought I was doing well a lot better. Mm -hmm. You know, and it goes with everything. It, it, that you, 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 there's so much synergy. And the one last thing about your meetings or, you know, those, those moving iron meetings is that as the years go on, as, 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 as we move forward, I think that the level of intimacy in these meetings and, and, and the people's willingness to uh, open up and realize that, you know what, man, like this whole thing about keeping everything guarded and, you know, these like industry, like, you know what, like, yeah, there's some things you're kind of got to keep close to the, to the vest, but for the most part, like best practices, Benefit everybody. Absolutely. I mean, you know, and yeah. and and I, and I think that's. I, I imagine that was always your intention, and you kind of had that vision to begin with. But uh, but I, I think that as the years go on, and as the culture changes, it, 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 we're more and more effective, or as growing as an industry. Right so. on. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the key function of that is is the networking, uh, the sharing of best practices, and. And then, you know, listen to a few speakers talk and maybe glean some piece of information from, from that you can take back and kind of put into your to your system. So now I appreciate you guys coming and all that stuff. So, Eddie, folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what you're doing or just pick your brain about stuff. What's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Cell phone. Uh, add or my email. Cell phone 706-871-2555. Right on, man. And Lou, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Cell email pigeon uh, 954-815-7981 or lbordoni at flintsequipco.com. Right on. Okay, guys. Well, appreciate you being on this segment, fellas, and a good conversation as always. So take care of yourselves, and we'll catch you next time.
Thanks, Casey, Aaron, Eddie, and Lou. And thanks again to AgriSolutions for sponsoring this podcast. We've got even more used equipment remarketing resources that we're sending your way. In addition to this podcast, we're also tapping into Casey's expertise across all our informational channels. Find more from him in the print magazine and on farm-equipment.com slash Expert. And you can keep up on the latest industry news by registering online to receive our free newsletters. Visit www.farm-equipment.com. For Casey and Aaron, as well as our entire staff here at Farm Equipment, I'm Kim Schmidt. Thanks for listening.